just about six months ago, I did a show at Princeton. 2,000 people. And all through the show, I kept saying, what's the matter with you? Well, I got off stage, and this guy came up to me, some critic from, from uh, the university there, and he says, you know, he says, you were eerily good tonight. And I thought to myself, either he's crazy or I am. But it is quite true that you don't know when you're, when you're really doing it. But there's a curious sense of, of oneness when you, when you are. There's some nights you can't mistake it. I think Marty would agree with that, too. Marty will certainly agree, but that's a good Of course, Marty agrees with everything. Yeah, Marty's easy to get along with. One thing. When, when, <laughs> through Marty. You'll get your chance. Marty will be here momentarily. <laughs> hey, Joe, I'm playing I'm playing Carnegie Hall. Are you coming? I wouldn't miss it. If I, if I were playing at Carnegie Hall, would you come to see me? Joe, if you were playing Carnegie Hall in one yes. for two hours, I would bring my mother. I mean, I'm serious. And I'll bring my mother. She's a fantastic quack. My mother is a great fan of mine. I mean, of yours. My mother's got wooden hands. Right. She just claps them together, and my God, you can hear her for miles. I'll tell you one thing, Gene, that uh, her upper plate jiggling. She's not I would advise our friends <laughs> to get their tickets quickly, because when you spoke at the overseas the press club, I must have had about yeah. six people who asked me, could I get them in there, because you were you were sold out way in advance. So. Well, you know, <clears throat> Joe, as, as, a, as a comic performer, I... I uh, I try to be honest about my own life, you know, and when I tell a story about going out on a on a blind date when I'm 15 years old and discovering halfway through the blind date that I'm the one they're being nice to, that I'm the blind date, that's just not the kind of story that Woody Allen would tell. No. <laughs> not this year. No way. <laughs> At any time. What's the big night? It's uh, it's this Tuesday, Joe, It's uh, and I'm really, really excited, you know. It's funny, I come from Indiana, and and I, I don't know whether people in New York understand what a place like Carnegie Hall means to the rest of the country. It's, it's just a legend, you know, really, it's a legend. In New York, it's just an old piece of real estate. But the idea that I'm playing Carnegie Hall all by myself on the stage for two hours with my picture up there in the front, you know, with guys like Vladimir Horowitz and, and all the rest of them, I just can't describe the feeling, Joe. I can't wait to see that show, whether it's Carnegie Hall or a microphone or whatever. You ever been in Carnegie Hall? I am. I am. See, Joe, I, I introduced Eddie Cantor from the stage. Well, Joe, of Carnegie you Hall. know what I'm going to do? For one yeah. thing, the first thing I felt when I walked on that stage at Carnegie Hall, what a place to hit fly balls in. Right. So I'm going to hit some fly balls from the stage right up into the balcony. Thank you. Going to line them up there. Thank you. <laughs> but I'm, I'm really looking forward. Who's on the bill with you? You're going to have some. No, it's, it's a one-man show. And we've got, there's a group that I work with, you know, I work with them at Princeton. I bring them around with me to different shows, and they sort of open the show, and, they, and I do a few musical things with them. It's a group called Sinful Street. Mm. And they are, it's uh, just a raunchy crowd. Will you be giving a little bit on your early life, Gene? Bad-looking mustaches in the world. Will you be talking what life was like to you before, oh, no. the, before no the thinking apparatus oh, no. came in? No, because no I like way. to hear about your early days. I love that. <laughs> Well, those are mythical early days. You know, that's just like Bill Cosby. You know, uh, people used to believe when Cosby first started, Joe, yes. that there really was a Fat Albert. And so now today he has to introduce his act, his fictional friend, Fat Albert, because Fat Alberts all over the country are writing and suing. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and uh, I have to tell you, there really never was a Schwartz or Flick or Bruner, and I, I created those characters, and, and they've come back to haunt me. Twelve guys named Schwartz tried to hit me for $10 last week. 
<laughs> I think I created you. I had you on my show when you were brand new. About that's right, Joe. With a record album with your at, face on the cover. At ABC. The old studio, right. I remember it vividly, Joe. And what's the eerie thing about it? Right. You look exactly like you did then. You know who was on the next day after you? I'm in H. Ryder Haggard Shee here. You know who was on the next 9, day? 9,000 year old, yeah? Johnny Carson. He was across the studio in a program called uh, Do You Trust Your Wife? Or Who Do You Trust? Something well, like I mean, he's had his excitement, hasn't all, he? All you kids had your days. Does he trust his wife? I don't know. I don't know. But those were good days. Yeah, I remember, I remember Carson at that time. Right. Uh, uh, gee, it's a funny thing about that show. I remember walking out of your show that day, Joe. Yeah. Uh, this was on ABC when Joe uh, used to do a lot more uh, old film clips and right, stuff in right. those days. And I uh, walked off the show and I ran into a legend right out of, uh, you know, out of uh, an American legend. He's walking along the hall, see, and, and there was this magnificent figure of Andre Baruch. <laughs> I mean, he's got a voice that sounds like, I mean, it's, it, it, you, you think God took diction lessons from him, you know? And I walk up to him and I says, God, you know, you're, you're Mr. Baruch? Yes. I said, well, Mr. Baruch, one time when I was in the Army, I I, I was listening to the radio, and, and there was this show that was on, and, and, and this voice came out and said, this is Andre Baruch. And now I'd like to introduce a favorite singer of mine, Frank Sinatra. And I said, is it really pronounced Sinatra? And he, he, he leaned back and he says, it was when I pronounced it. <laughs> you know, that's authority. <laughs> I think the whole world grew up listening to Andre Baruch say, this is B-U-L-O-V-A, Bull of the Watch Time. Remember yeah, that? well, I'll tell you, one of my great thrills of that type was, again, in the Army, I used to get these free tickets, you know, yes. to come in to, to New York. And here I was out of Indiana, you know, I'm getting free tickets at the USO. And I was going up in the elevator at NBC to see a show with a bunch of other GIs. Yes. And who came into the elevator but one of the most famous voices in America? The, the, the voice that used to say, so round, so rich, so fully packed. Lucky. It was Basil Rysdale. Uh, you ever hear that voice? Well, he walked in. He was seven feet tall. He had a chest of about 74 inches. And all he said to the elevator operator was, three, please. And all of us just sort of just stood there, just, just deep down within us because these names these voices you know I think uh, actually rotted the brain of an entire generation of people he was great if your name was Basil you had to talk like that oh Basil. yeah and they had great names like Norman Bolenshire Basil Rysdale Basil Rathbone Basil Metabolism you notice there wasn't a Charlie Schmidt no Charlie Schmidt Lab, Schmidt Lab. Right. So of course is the American Beverage Corporation they make Hoffman Hoffman Ginger Ale and Club Soda and Quinine Water and each day we honor a restaurant that serves our favorite beverage. Gene Shepard will serve Hoffman on the stage of Carnegie Hall this Tuesday night. Because I'll send him a case. <laughs> and I'll tell you one thing about the restaurants, Luke. They're getting better and better, and the restaurants are getting greater and greater. People who have been to Bobby's, which is in this neighborhood, by the way, at 205 West 38th Street, New York City, tell me that this is a great new restaurant of 1972. And the uh, chef is named Aldo, and the owner is named Bobby. And the bartender who serves our Hoffman is named Frankie, and they want you to go in there and ask for them and have a great meal, have a good time. But don't go there weekends. They're closed Saturdays and Sundays. They open Monday through Friday at Bobby's, a sensational new restaurant at 205 West 38th Street. For reservations, jot it down, 354-6830. Meet 
Bobby and meet some wonderful new people at a wonderful new restaurant just west of Broadway at 205 West 38. Welcome to the Marty Ingalls uh, program. Marty? Hello. Since last we chatted like this, what has happened in the way of exciting happenings? Well, I did a telethon for irregularity. I've done a lot of good things, <laughs> right? I was on This Is Your Life. Right. I had 17 minutes left over. And you know I'm in trouble. That's a funny line. I was on yeah, This Is Life. Funny line. I laughed at you, Gene. <laughs> I, I was off camera. You know, my trouble is I get thinking of the philosophy of what you just said that scares me. Yeah, he gets crazy. <laughs> so he starts to cry. Now, I want to ask you a question. Then we'll, I want to ask about you. I have a show of my own next year. And I'd like to just throw that in. When you had your last show of your own, that was, that was the big That was right in this studio, too, was... No, <laughs> the two cleaning out the uh, dynamite no. from the bomb. No, the one that people remember called I'm Dickens, He's Fenced It. That was a long time. Did that show yeah. have any... Uh, Impact? No, not that. Did it have any social relevance? Was it socially relevant, the way shows? No. no. Or was it just old-fashioned funny? That's what I want to know. Well, as a matter of fact, it, it brought back failure. It brought back... A lot of people didn't see it. It was respectable. Right. <laughs> Actually, it brought back a slap, a good old-fashioned slap. Yeah. And it really shouldn't have been taken off the air. You were on more TV Guide covers. He was on more than a funny show, yeah. actually. You know? The trouble was that we had a cigar sponsor. That was a problem. Children loved the show. And Alfred, <laughs> it's true, I put up those cigars said, who needs it? And they didn't turn out a chocolate cigar, did they? No, not for a minute, Steve. Steve. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> Did that show go into syndication? After? It went into syndication and the ratings doubled. The problem was that the network people were so uptight that instead of adjusting it to a proper sponsor like a General Mills or a Mattel, there's so many new shows waiting in the background, waiting in the wings, all bright and shiny, that they just said pass and they continue to the next one. Are the show still showing anywhere in the country, you know, on reruns or anything? In Guam, there were two guys in, in a cave who still think they're watching Guam. Ah, oh, look at the first one. I don't it's know. So out. many years ago, I've done so many things since. How would that show, though, go over today? I mean, I mean you see, he doesn't want to talk about it, but every time I mention Marty Ingalls to my friends, they say, oh, yeah. So I'm Dickens, I'm Dickens. That's what kind of trouble I'm in. Right? That's not a trap. That's not a trap. Listen, a lot of guys aren't remembered for anything, Marty. So don't. Anybody we know?
but in a, in a different terms than they're used to hearing it. Uh, and I'm not sure that it's memorabilia. You know, this whole thing of memorabilia, I think, is highly overrated. Uh, does a guy go and hear Beethoven uh, for memorabilia, uh, you know, of the 17th, 18th century? Uh, see, I think in our time, we keep talking about memory, 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 and actually, it's just a total experience. You see a, you see a magnificent Duesenberg driving down the street, it's a beautiful car. You don't say to yourself, oh, that's memory, memory lane. Uh, well, what's her name? Come up and see me sometime. Mae West. Now, I, uh, in California, we recently had a, a film festival of Mae West pictures, and then as, uh, for the Academy people in the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and stuff, mm -hmm. and then as a final thing, she appeared. You know, she came on stage and answered questions. Now, the, now the theater was packed to the gills with college kids and kids in high school. I mean, high school kids. Historical But now that was But they laughed at that movie as if it was today. Well, that's what I'm trying to say. But in a kind of a different kind of movie. You made funny movies. See, but if you're funny, you're funny, Marty. You're trying to say that. You're saying it's classic. Yes, of course. I mean, you see classical Greek tragedy, and it still can move you, and it's been 2,000 years. We won't accept that premise today. We keep thinking each generation has all different values and different things. This is pure nonsense. Any psychiatrist would tell you that. He says there would be no uh, no science of psychiatry if people changed from generation to generation. You'd have to have psychiatrists every new generation have to be new psychiatry. Right. Ridiculous. That I would, I would like to... Huh? No, I'm sorry, continue. No, I'm just sorry, Joe. I'm just saying that you hear this said often. <laughs> so I still want to feel though that today's scene in the 70s with the kids, even though the kids still look pretty freaky, in many cases, but the so scene... So did they in the 50s. Yeah, but the scene... Oh, the I don't scene, what freaky. But the scene today is more love. More love. More, <laughs> more don't argue, brother, and, and peace. And oh, it's beautiful. Right. I think when, I, when I was in high school, all that mattered for a guy to get a girl was like, hey, if you look like Tony Curtis, right. and if you had money, and if you could beat up everybody in class. Right. And that was it. I said, hey, it's all different. Girls like interesting men. You know? Men of soul, men of peace. Our time has come. Uh, you and I? Mm -hmm. My time is here. Yours, I think, is for the next generation. <laughs> <laughs> Even the girls in those days, Joy, they would say, like you said about your girls in that show, they would say, you, you get out of line, I'll slap you down. The girls were tough in the 50s, and today you don't hear that kind of conversation from the girls as much, I don't think. They were but girls. Joe, you yeah. know, it, it just occurs to me, something Marty said, and something that uh, you said, too, about the, the values about peace and all that. I, right. think, I think the events often occur which changes a particular attitude of a certain group of people. In other words, in the 50s, there was no war. So why should people walk around with signs that say peace all over them? Uh, in the 60s, you do have a war going on, so we're very conscious of peace. Uh, so so uh, the, the idea that values have changed, I don't know. Are you saying that the kids today are the same value-wise as the kids? No, they're human beings. See, the, the idea I'm saying, and also we tend to take people at their face value. Because a guy wears a button that says love, we believe that he believes in love. This is a very questionable... But don't you believe that there's a revolution happening now in the young people? Don't you see that revolution and feel it in the streets every day? I do. It's fantastic. Oh, it's well, beautiful. Well, we don't know. Prisoners of war. Who cared about prisoners of war? Well, we don't time? know that. Second World War? Now, Marty, we don't know. Do you know that there was a fantastic peace movement? I'm talking historically, and I don't come and say, well, Shepard remembers that. I'm saying... If you don't know, if you know anything about the history of America, you'd know that there were great peace movements in the late 30s all over America. In fact, that's one of the reasons we kept out of the war for two years. But we, we're so 
shoddy in our historical knowledge that we tend to think everything that happens is new. It's never happened before. Uh, there are new things. <laughs> that whole, this whole ecological revolution <laughs> is young or Marty, young Marty, 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 I just got a piece. One more time. Marty. One more, one more thing. Let me, I'm going to say one thing here about that ecological bit. Is that true or not? Uh, yes. Uh, but no, it is not. As oh. a matter of fact, I'm doing a show tonight on my radio show based on a clipping that was taken, taken from the New England Journal. And it's a quote of a law from 1683. And it's New Bedford, Massachusetts. And it says the following. Anybody dumping fish scales or fish offal in the water, I'm serious, off the coast of New Bedford will be subject to the confiscation of a fishing boat. But, but, but in, in 1683, ecology was a real issue. Now, we tend to think everything is new because we don't care about it. Oh, were the kids in the street marching up and down, and were they picking up bottles, and were they... I don't see them doing it today. Oh, fact, most yeah. of the kids are the ones throwing the beer cans out of cars. Not the kids I see. Well, what's, what's old is always new again. I want to talk to Joy. Well, Joy, how do you feel? Get into this. Fine. How would you like to do a uh, TV series with Marty Ingalls? I'd like to do a TV series with Eddie Hardy, <laughs> but especially Marty Ingalls. Pardon me. Pardon me. I'm trying to talk him into getting married. Now you I want you to know we met on this show. That's what I just said before. Then I went back to California. Right. And we've been, it's been a postal thing. We've been writing back and forth. We've right. written, this is only the second time I've seen her. And you're only here, Joe. Yeah, i got to get and out of here. raise a family that way. Boy, oh, boy. Oh, Joe's constant. He's cut forever and ever. And this, he does look exactly like he said. This program is called Discovery. See, we discover people and people discover each other. We're going to see this all out. Are you happy about the, uh, about the, uh, romance? Can we tell uh, Can we tell Walter Winchell or Dorothy Kilgallen or people like this? What year is this, by the way? But this is an official item, right? To tell Rona Garland. Um, <laughs> well, no, after I see the show. I think it's something I've never seen myself. And it's so spectacular. My whole family has seen her show, and right. I haven't. And they right. say, well, who is she? Which one is she? When I told her the, the character she played, yes. the best thing in the show. And I don't understand it because for me, Joy, her, how can I explain it? Her neuroses. Yeah. I say that all talent. <laughs> yeah. All talent is followed by neuroses right. and by crisis, you know? There's no crisis in this girl. She's a great American walk, but I don't see anything that's really, that's happened, that, that, you know, that's tragic about her. And yet she's a beautifully talented girl. That's sensational. That breaks the rule, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> talking, talking about the best, I want to put the... Who has come between uh, our two uh, Just in time. lovers? Just in time. Marty Ingalls. Marty is on. I'm sorry, uh, Marty. Marty's on a lot of. How long will you be in town, Marty? I'll be in town as long as Joy wants me. Forever, forever. You're doing. Forever. You're doing quite a few shows this week. Yes, morning. I'm doing the Cabot Show and a few other things. I went to my line. Uh-huh. And the mystery guest. The real mystery guest. They say Marty Ingalls, and they know that. Who's Marty? <laughs> you never had a guest on your show. <laughs> Lock it up, Wait, you never had a guest on your show at any time, did you? By any, uh, Who can get a word in on it? You always show. do a monologue, don't you? Oh, you talk to me? Yeah, do you have any guests? If you want Gene, I'm so my own guest. Right, right. <laughs> no yeah. drop-ins like You don't remember when Gene was no, no drop-ins. When Gene was on the Steve Allen show and played his head. Right. That's right. He actually he doesn't remember that. That's true. true. Can you imagine a maniac was on a show and they actually spent had an orchestra and he played his head? Yeah. Irving oh, Fields, it was the Irving Fields Quintet. Oh, and, uh, wow. We played the second movement of Mahler's Third Symphony. Great. Right. And you said walked out. Right. <laughs> He'll be here next week, uh, Irving Fields. Oh, Mahler? Oh. He'll play the... Uh, 
Dean Shepard Rumba. And I'm chatting with Joy Garrett of Greece, who doesn't wear that greasy kid stuff. Never, right? Never. And uh, got a little bit of a cold today? A little bit, yeah. I'm really having trouble, but I guess everybody is, though. But no one feels sorry for me. Every time I say I have a cold, everybody says I do, too. But these lights are good for the arthritis and everything, right? So it'll help a little bit. Please. Infrared. Infrared. And I'm chatting here with Tim Rooney. Uh, and our sponsor, of course, is Mount Airy Lodge. But now and then uh, on our radio show, we talk about Downingtown Inn. Is that where you're full-time now, Downingtown Yeah, I'm back at the Downingtown Inn. Man, say, it's good to see you again. Boy, I it's really, the last time. I really missed it. Yeah, yeah, it's a pleasure to be on your show with such talented people. My gosh. He's one of those... Really a big fan of my father. I'll see that photograph now. Oh, you ever see him in those, in those Andy Hardy pictures? Oh, thought, yeah. How do you feel when, when they come on TV and you're sitting watching your father? Well, it's a freaky thing. Excuse me. It's a freaky thing because uh, because I think it's a unique opportunity because I can see what my father was like then before I was even a dream, you know, before I was even thought of. And I can see how much he's changed in his idiosyncrasy. It's a weird feeling. It is, it's, it's a weird feeling. It really is. You know, he's beautiful. And he's the, he's the best argument for my age to rock with you. No, 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 and there's no, there's not a slightest hint of resentment there, of jealousy, of thing. I mean, you know, a lot of young kids who have famous people just want to do everything they can to rid themselves of that money on their back. But it's not anywhere, you know, ever in you. You're a beautiful kid. It's, it's prevalent among the young people. Oh, it is. Well, well great father hatred is very common among mm-hmm. the right? Well, I, I I agree with you because I I think that there's a I think that there's a movement in this 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 great country of ours. I really do. I this is something I deeply feel that the family unit is completely being torn apart mm-hmm. by media mm-hmm. and things. And uh, I, I, I thank you, Mike, because I take that as a compliment. I do love my father deeply. Absolutely. I respect the man. You thank me, but and, you agree with him. Well, yeah, I know what but you're saying. Know, but I think people are individuals. They're not generations. But I, no. I could go two ways. You know, you, there's two ways to go through no. every situation. I could either resent him or don't. I don't. Of course but I don't. That doesn't prove anything except about him. He's a... He's a an exceptional person, I can tell him. Well, thank you, but, but this is, this is just uh, the way I feel about it. And uh, I think there's two ways you can go. You can either resent it and you can, you know, like you say, you can have a monkey on your back or you can, uh, you can just uh, love, you know. Tim, and next, I do. Time, next time Papa's in town, you'll come down with Papa. Oh, I'd been, love been here many times. He was here last time with Gene Krupa. Remember that show? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they were unbelievable together. All right. Joy, when you feel better, will you come down and sing for us? I'd love to. Is that a promise? Yes. A song from Greece or a song not from Greece. Invite me over. I it's want all to beautiful. Right, Gene will be back today that Joy Garrett sings. Marty, I want to wish you many more uh, nice uh, people that you might meet on our show. But uh, Every time I come, I meet someone else. I'm engaged to Gene. <laughs> hey, when am, when am I going to get you down to Downingtown in? Anytime you invite me. Well, you're invited. Anytime you know the door's always open. Love to see you. I'll be there. All right, Joe. Ladies and gentlemen, these announcements as we wish uh, much happiness to the Ingalls. No. To Marty Ingalls and to Joy Garrett, and I want Gene Shepard to meet Mr. Thomas as we thank Timmy Rooney. Stay with us for a great, great author. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, I would like Gene Shepard, along with you and me, to meet uh, one of the most distinguished writers, one of the most successful writers in the world. Man who is very much aware. His name is Leslie Thomas. 
And Leslie, welcome back to our show. Can Thank I... you very much. Can I ask you about that gorgeous uh, watch uh, uh. there? <laughs> well, you were, you were talking really? about uh, <laughs> people giving you things. Tim was saying about someone, you know, giving him photographs of his father. Do you know that that watch was sent to me in a parcel through the post? You can see it's a Victorian gold watch with a, with a note saying, this was your grandfather's watch. And I still don't know who it came from. You mean it was sent anonymously? It was sent anonymously. Um, my grandfather was a harbour master of a small port in Wales, and he must have worn this around about 1890. And I just got this parcel through the post, opened it, and there it was. I don't know if even know who it sent. It's a magnificent watch. Isn't it just? It's beautiful. It's, uh, I, I'm very, very pleased with it. I've got some bad news for you, though, uh, Joe. Sounds like the old joke. I mean, good news and uh, Well, you had some good news just now about Marty and uh, Joy, but just before the show, she promised herself to me. <laughs> she told me that she wanted somebody younger, better moustache, all the usual things. So uh, I'm glad he's gone, actually, because he might be quite upset, I feel. Do you enjoy watching these American performers? Oh, I've, been, I I've, been told, I've been told that in Britain, the, the people are less fickle about the entertainers. If they loved you once, they will love you always, and they won't put you in the garbage can when they get tired of you like they do in this country. Some of these, these shows yeah. are done so well in this country. Yeah. In England, I don't know. They don't seem to have that spot. I and I was supposed to have 10 minutes, but the thing turned into a riot. Uh, the audience attacked the platform for various reasons, and it went on for half an hour. It's about the most entertaining thing Mr. Frost has done for a long time, I felt. Um, but in England, they, um, they haven't got the spot. I mean, you do this show every day. I think that's phenomenal, I really do. In England, I think it would take a week's preparation to... Excuse me, may I interrupt here for a moment? As, as, as a fellow writer, as a fellow writer, Leslie, I am always fascinated with the way a man approaches the first line of a story. May I read the first paragraph of, of Leslie's work here so you know what he writes like? Of Onward, Virgin Soldiers. That's right. And, and a sequel to the Virgin Soldiers, right? Yeah. Well, it's a magnificent first paragraph, and I want you to hear this. It was an early rising wind, pinched niggardly, seeping from the harbor that woke him. It tapped around the Chinese house like a bland man's stick, agitating the thin window frames and the tin door and getting under the frail roof. Had it been an English wind, Brake thought, a wind turning up at five in the morning and all the shot barracks, it would have barged about like a drunken corporal. Open I line. must read this. <laughs> That's a fine book. Uh, it's true. You know. You remember I, writing it? I, you know, I, I read this book for the first time since I wrote it on the plane coming over because I don't ever, I've written 11 books now and I never read, I don't think I have time to read them again and I, I'm not sure I want to go back anyway and uh, that sounds terrible. Well, that's a beautiful image, you see. I, I, you know, we, we must have a fairly similar habits because I too, I've done, let's see, three books now, mm -hmm. two novels. And people will quote me things and say, fine, I don't remember writing That's right, you don't remember the characters. That's right, but this beautiful that? image of the wind barging around like a drunken corporal. That's very kind of you. But the choice of corporal is, is inspired. Mm -hmm. A drunken lieutenant would be very different. <laughs> it isn't always uh, there. would be a certain elegant. I, I might say an English critic, crit, uh, a very well-known uh, 
English critic Oberon Waugh, yeah. the son of Evelyn Waugh, uh, said of me in a review last year, uh, he fails to give me any sense of sexual excitement. So I wrote to him and said, Evelyn Waugh, yeah, answer, son, yeah, I well, said, that's understandable. Well, I did, I said, I'm a novelist, not a witch doctor, you know, <laughs> or a faith healer. It is always what you say, though. Sometimes it's how you say it. Well, you say I, I it. want to finish this sentence now. Oh, I'm sorry. You finish? No, no. I'm another Marty Engel. Oh, an, author, an author loves to hear his work read, and, and, and he says the wind, barging like a drunken corporal, Joe, banging on doors, belching around concrete corners, and staggering across the parade ground. That's a pure Englishman writing. That's very kind of you. Thank you. An American would never use the term parade grounds when he's talking about the Army because having been in the Army, it's rarely used in our Army. Is that so? Yeah. This is a great uh, difficulty, of course. Uh, I'm uh, In this book, uh, there's a love affair between uh, an English soldier and an American woman in Hong Kong. Now, the great difficulty for an English person writing about an American is simply the parade ground thing because you don't use it. We use different words, and sometimes it's not convincing. I think that this is the reason why I've never, and you may be able to put me right on this, I don't know of another case in fiction where an Englishman has had a love affair with an American woman, uh, not since The Weight of the Stars, which is about 1941. Uh, I think that people are afraid of it, to go and do this. That's a good point. In fact, I'll tell you, uh, whenever I'm, I'm writing and I'm trying to recreate a foreign character, somebody say like an Englishman, for example, I feel very, very tentative about it because I have seen so many failures. For example, Graham Greene, whom I admire very much, his Americans are incredibly bad. They, they, they just don't, they, they ring, they just don't ring true. And I'm an American, yeah. of course. You have to, um, I've read novels by um, foreign Americans, uh, Canadian writers uh, about London. And you always get the locations they talk about, Regent Street, Piccadilly, yeah. the zoo. Well, this is like me writing about New York, and I, I'm not talking about anywhere but Broadway and Times Square. You get these sort of tourist locations, yeah. and you don't... I'm just about to embark on a, a hitchhiking trip across the country. I'm going to go on the ground. I'm going to hitch lifts. I'm going on Greyhound buses and this country. This country. I'm going to the West Coast and, and back again. Because I don't feel that you can get in an aeroplane and meet people, except the fellow next right. to you who's probably asleep. You can't meet people in, in posh hotels. Oh, you're going to hitchhike. I am indeed. Well, well, doing that for a newspaper article? No, I'm doing it to, um, well, I'll be writing a newspaper article. with a newspaper? No, I finished about six years ago. I, uh, I managed to earn a living by myself now, but I'm doing this to get background for a, a book about an Englishman in America. You know what I've something uh, I've always wanted to do? Uh, ask a man such as Leslie Thomas who has interviewed Queen Elizabeth and the Duke of Edinburgh and everybody. Have you ever been in awe of anybody? Have you ever had that reverential feeling about any... You know, they'll tell you... Some people will say that uh, nobody is special, nobody's extraordinary, human beings are human beings. But I, I, for example, have been dazzled by many people. I've, I've been fascinated. But have you ever felt that strongly about... I've, um, I don't know about in awe. I've been very frightened by someone. Yes. And oddly enough, it was myself. Uh, a few minutes ago, Tim was talking about seeing his father yes. on old movies. Now, when I wrote The Virgin Soldiers, it was basically about me as an 18-year-old in the army and uh, this sort of thing. And when Carl Foreman made the film of this book, I was then 20 years older. I went to the cinema and sat there and saw myself as portrayed by Hugh Bennett, the actor, on the screen. 
and I saw the things that he was doing, his attempt to lose his virginity and all these things, and it was like seeing a ghost. It was like walking down the street and seeing yourself coming the other way. It was a very frightening experience. Very frightening. That's a good answer. Well, well you know, it's, it's funny. Uh, you know, you mentioned about uh, the inability that many people have of making themselves familiar with another country. That's a very wise thing. Don't do what Ian Fleming did. Now, Ian Fleming, uh, who wrote the Bond stories, I'll never forget one line of James Bond, one of the, out of one of the Bonds. They says, says, Mr. Bond, James Bond, his car hurtled over the 59th Street Bridge and plunged into Harlem. <laughs> yes, well, you, you <laughs> just can't, you can't do it. I, I must admit, occasionally, I, um, uh, I I think the greatest way to see New York is to go on one of those boats around Manhattan because you see Circle everything. Line, yeah. And I've done it True. several times. And I must confess that I've written about it because I can... I'll bet he has never done it. I haven't even been up in the Empire State Building. You know, it's... Um, I'm supposed to meet my wife on top of the Empire State Building because I know it's been done, you know, and uh, a fair to remember. But when we worked out this, uh, this thing about me hitchhiking, she said, well, how am I going to get in touch with you because she's coming to New York? I said, well, I don't know. Um, I don't know where I'll be. I said, look, when you get there, every day at noon, go to the top of the Empire State Building and I'll meet you up there. Well, she saw the film, and I think it was Deborah Carr got knocked down by a taxi, didn't she? She said, I'm not, I'm not going to get knocked down by a taxi, but if you see an attractive young woman standing up there for 18 days up on the truck, she's not soliciting, she's waiting for me. That's an inspired yeah. choice of a building. It's pretty hard to, to lose the Empire State Building. It is indeed. It's, uh, again, now, now, that, now that's a case in point, because uh, in London, if we think of New York, what do we think of? Empire State Building. Right. I mean, you know, when you look around, you don't so think of the Allied chemicals. No, of course you don't. You think, and this is the, the great fault. Of, uh, if I wrote about New York, I would have to avoid that Empire State uh, Building because it just shows you. It just shows you're a tourist. Yeah, and that's also bad. Movie makers will always open up with a shot of the New York skyline, and you go past the uh, yeah. the uh, Statue of Liberty, and you know right away there's a hack at work. Yeah, it's always. I always used to think, like when I came over first by boat by ship. I used to think that New York looked like a pile of luggage. Somebody just left their luggage on a on a mm. railway platform, and this image was always in my mind. I, you know, I love this town, but I realised today that I could never ever write a single sentence about New York that would be true, because you walk around. I I just can't believe it. A place like this can exist. It's full of contradictions that. People are everywhere you go. You see the whole world in 10 yards. Yeah. Well, Leslie, you know, I feel that way about London. You know, it's funny. Uh, as an American writer, I feel that way about London. And I I just, uh, I have a book coming out the 31st of October, and, and it's about New York. And it's really? called yeah. The Ferrari in the Bedroom. That's and a good title, yeah. Good. Well, because are you sure you want that? Can I stop? <laughs> let's sit here. Let's sit here. We'll, we'll do an hour when the show ends. Right now, these final announcements are back to Leslie Thomas and Gene Shepard. Shepherd at Carnegie Hall on Tuesday night, the 17th. I'll be there. And let me show this book on the screen. And uh, all I can say is that Leslie Thomas is one of our very favorite writers. So we meet again on Monday with more surprises. Have a good day and a good night. And stay well. Now stay tuned for Candid Camera next on Channel 9.